Now we're going to transition to our next topic, um, which is going to take us through the discussion of mankind and sin. So we, we've talked about God and his creation. Uh, this is, I guess we're technically still talking about his creation, but we're just going to, because this is kind of a topic in and of itself, we're just going to group it separately, which is really not for anybody else. It doesn't really affect anything. But uh, we want to talk about there's three views of man, and if I asked you what they were, they probably wouldn't get them. Maybe you kind of got the idea if you looked over some of the, the scriptures that the different concepts of what man is composed of. We talked about one of them in a, in a sermon, as we, we in our last sermon series, the different ideas of what man is composed of. Uh, there are three views, and and uh, the first one is that man is essentially one essence. Now, this is actually uh, held by atheists, right? We are only biological. That's all we are is biological. Because why? Why would an atheist believe that? You can't get away from it. We definitely are physical. Okay, so we are physical. Why are we only physical? Okay, so, so if we start opening our minds up to the spiritual, then we open up our, we have to open up everything to it. So, so, <clears throat> so, I mean, they might use the word spiritual, but they mean it kind of as that other subconscious part of us. They still would consider that a part of the biological things that make you, you. That's why that video, by the way, that we showed is important. It kind of illustrates that um, you can't, you have to be more than your biology. There's, there's no explanation for certain things in the human world if identical twins have different personalities or even conjoined twins. Like it makes it even more isolated. There's no explanation for that biologically. So. Um, so that's, uh, there is actually uh, another group of people that believes this, and they are religious, two groups. And those would be Jehovah's Witness and, um, uh, and Seventh-day Adventist. Uh, and I'll, I'll read you, we're actually, this is a scripture that we're going to, a lot of times you'll notice that the scriptures that people throw in to support their view actually support the opposite. But they are so desperate to find a verse that they'll 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 like, oh thank you for thank you for sharing that verse, because that's gonna actually help us in the discussion. But Genesis chapter two, verse seven, and we discussed this one uh, in that series. Uh, but I'll, I'll give their explanation of it. Um, and this is really what they've got. This is all they've got. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So their view is that man did not get his breath, it did not get life or breath. So they conflate the idea of soul and spirit. That to them is the same thing. And to them... That's only, that's subject to the body. The body is more important because the body is first. So they say man was not alive 
until this happened. So the soul then cannot exist separate from the body. It needs the body there. So if the body dies, the soul goes out of existence, which is really weird logic. In fact, it's a logical fallacy. It's got. I had to look it up. I, 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 our kids have been doing some of this stuff earlier in, in their science class or math, math class. I think they're doing logic or whatever. Anyway, so, so I'm, anybody know what denying the antecedent is? You ever heard that phrase? Uh, denying the antecedent is a, it's a logical fallacy. And what it says is, um, if, if A equals, if A needs B, then, then you can do it backwards, right? Um, so we'll give you an example, and you'll see how silly it is. And I learned this one in Veggie Tales. Okay? So uh, if a, mon- a monkey has a tail, and an ape doesn't, right? So this was in Silly Songs with Larry. Uh, so therefore, if it doesn't have a tail, it's an ape. Right, so, so therefore, a watermelon is an ape because it doesn't have a tail. You, you can't do the logic backwards. Uh, it works forwards, but it doesn't work backwards. Uh, and, and so just because I need a body and a soul to, to exist doesn't mean that I, I can't work that backwards and say that when I no longer have a working body, that I no longer have an existing soul. It doesn't work that way. Uh, <clears throat> and I, I hope that's not confusing. But um, so, so that's the, the first idea of, of humanity. I think it's, it's self-observant. That, that's not even the way that this verse was intended to be used, Genesis 2-7. We're going to come back to it a little bit. Uh, in fact, we're going to come back to it in the next uh, idea, which is what? If there's a group that says there's one. There's a group that says there's three. And they stay right there in Genesis 2, 7. Uh, what, is the, what is the three, then? No, 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 no. I, me. Okay, body, soul, spirit. Uh, so, so let's uh, look at some of the verses. We've, we've shared some of these. We'll go back through. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And, that's, and, and we went through this uh, in the opening of the, that uh, sermon series. And, and it looks, if you look at a few verses, like on the surface of it, kind of combining Genesis 2-7 with that, uh, it looks to support that. Uh, Hebrews 4-12 Someone want to read that? <clears throat> For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Okay, so, um, so they said, well, we know we have a body, and now I have a soul and spirit. Okay? Uh, and First Thessalonians 5, 23. God 
God, peace and salt sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so again, it seems to indicate, at first glance, that we have, now there is a thing called a soul, there is a thing, we're not going to deny the scripture. If the scripture is there, it has something it means. Uh, and so that's why kind of we went through, I wasn't anticipating this being so soon in the, in the series, but I knew it was coming somewhere. Uh, and, and so there is a thing called a soul, and we talked about is that that's kind of the combination of, of what we are as, a, as a, a singular entity. Man becomes, Genesis chapter 2, 7 says, we, we become a soul. It's not something I possess as an element of who I am. It, it's the difference between an element I am and, and, and the combination of what I end up being as a, as a singular entity. Uh, I don't want to re-preach the sermon, so, so I want to go on to... I used to hold that view. Uh, this, this is actually the book that I read. Probably uh, a friend of mine gave it to me. He had a duplicate and gave it to me. And, uh, and just this is one of those things that I was like... That's interesting. I never really, you know, had it went through the massive amount of scriptures there are. If you, I don't means you guys got the book. It's just there's a massive amount of scriptures to go through. It's this is a textbook for a college class. Uh, so we're going to go through not all of the scriptures, but I want to look at the other scripture. Well, if man is one or man is three, what's the other view? Do you suppose? Hmm? Man is two. It's called dualism. And almost all scriptures that we will look at in the, in the Bible will express this view. Uh, so let's not go through all of the scriptures in the Bible on it, but uh, we'll, we'll look at several. 2 Corinthians 4.16. Okay, now I like this verse, I mean, it, we're going to see this, that it, it's really between two, outer and inner. Inner man, outer man. Uh, almost always is the, the comparison. And one of the things I like about this passage is that it goes back and addresses the idea from, from the singular view, from, from the what they call monism of, of man. Uh, it addresses, and specifically the, the Jehovah's Witness Seventh-day Adventist idea, because what they do when, when they say, well, the body dies and, and the soul goes out of existence, what do I make the most important element in, in my existence? Hmm? The body becomes the most important determining factor in my existence. Not the soul, not or not the spirit. But what does this say? They're first of all, they're independent, right? The the body is declining over time, and he says, "Yet my spirit is being renewed." And so, so I'm I'm complete. Those they're two completely independent elements. One does not exist. As one gets closer to death, ideally. I can be getting closer to God. I, I, I can be having this one improving in its quality and in its condition. They're, they're independent of each other. So I, so I really like that, 
that passage. By the way, uh, we're not going to turn there. It's also true in women. Uh, uh, Peter addresses women exclusively in, in chapter 3. And he differentiates between the outward and the hidden person of the heart. So, uh, so when we say inward man, Peter's very clear in, in saying that's not just true of man. <laughs> so... Romans chapter 7, verse 22 through 25. And I've, I've just, I've selected some of the ones, but for a particular reason, because each of these brings out a, a slightly different element. Romans 7, 22 through 25. Someone wants to read that. <clears throat> For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivered me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. All right, so, so what do we see here? What difference? We, we see, again, inner, outer. Nothing other than those two. What, what other concept do we see between the two that divides the two? What, what concept? What, what ideas are? What's that? The mind. Okay, so the mind, the the awareness. Right? It's not. It's not a biological thing. I mean, I'm not saying that it's not affected. We have a, a human brain, and it does biologically understandable things that we can explain. But it's not exclusive. The mind is not exclusively biological. Yeah. Sin is the difference. Okay. Okay. Okay, they operate on two completely different principles, don't we? We see two, he says, my, my body is subject to this principle. My, my inner man, my spirit is not subject to those principles. They, they operate completely different. And, and uh, so, so if, if the body determined the spirit, then the spirit would then be subject to the same things that the body is subject to. And he could not write this. Right, does that does that make sense? If, if the if everything was within the body, if the body controls everything, if the body controls whether the spirit's alive or dead, we're saying you are underneath it instead of separate. Uh, it's like it's like uh, if, if you have a supervisor at work, okay, you, you're under him. You you everything he wants you to do, you do. But if you if two people have the same supervisor, you can have two different spheres and have things that and you're. Uh, you're independent of each other, right? So uh, that that's kind of how this works. Yeah, Mark. I mean, the body is also basically a container. You know, right. When you have a jar of something, the jar and whatever is holding it are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. They're they're two independent things. Yeah. It, it's not that the it's not that my my body won't influence my spirit, right? It, or this my soul's direction. Because it, it gets tempted and it does things. 
and it, it today, that, and that's what in, in Romans 7, he's like, oh, when can I be free of this thing? Because it keeps on, the, the things I want to do, I don't do. The, it, it, it sometimes steers me and is, it's doing things that it wants to do because of the principles it operates on. Uh, it's not that it won't influence, but it doesn't make my soul do things. So, uh, man is two. James chapter two, verse twenty-six. These are important, by the way, things to establish as we get into the concept of sin and and what sin is. It's, so. They're not just, these aren't just random topics, but these are important topics to, to set up some of the other things that we're going to talk about. James chapter 2, verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Mm. Now what do we find out? What do we find out about death? Who controls death as, as it relates to me? I mean, obviously, if God wants me to die, he controls the death. But, but that's who is the determining factor in my state of existence? No. My spirit. The body without the spirit is dead. The spirit without the body is not dead. It's important. So, Okay, so so whatever so so he's so he's he's using he's using one to be an illustration of the other, right? So so he's saying just as the body without the spirit is dead, so he's he's going back to creation. The body was sitting there on the, in the in the garden wherever God made Adam, laid out there ready, but he hadn't breathed into it life. And, and this is the illustration that he's using. It will be true spiritually. And he's saying, he's saying, just as the body without the spirit is dead, so there's this other spiritual principle at work. And that's the, the nature of the illustration. I have The spirit inside of man determines his living state. Otherwise, he's just a corpse. Right, Mark? Okay, uh, that actually was the next scripture. Mark up here sneaking, looks at my notes. Uh, that's all right. Um, I mean, we're on the same wavelength here. So, so that's that, that idea. He yields up his spirit. In fact, you say, well, that's Jesus. Guess who quotes Jesus? Who quotes Jesus? Stephen said the exact same things. He's getting ready to be stoned. He... he he begs to God to receive his spirit. So, uh, the spirit leaves the body at death. It does not go out of existence. It does not sleep for, you know, while the body is dead. Like, it, it, it's not connected to my body. It's a container, as, as you pointed out, Mark. Uh, and 1 Corinthians, the last one in this section that we're going to look at, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 
11. Sorry. Someone wants to read that? 1 Corinthians 2.11. <clears throat> Okay, so, so he attributes to the inner man of this consciousness that we have, doesn't he? Which I think is interesting. Um, that um, it is conscious, the spirit is conscious. My spirit is not an impersonal force, as those religions teach. It's just like the thing that makes me breathe. And that's what they believe. It's just kind of the thing that animates me. It's the thing that separates me from being a corpse. That's all. The rest is biological. And he says, no. It contains information. It, it knows things. It, it holds those things. Yeah. Did you have a... Oh, okay. I thought... So, <clears throat> so we, we kind of get the description of man and we want to go then and switch gears a little bit and talk about then isolate that spiritual nature of man and look at kind of the, there are then we have three views of our essence but there are two views I would say of man's spiritual condition. Two extremely opposite views. You know what those two views are? What is our, in the theological world now, you've just boiled it down to Christianity per se. What are the two views of man's spiritual condition? You have the Spirit of God. You're aware of it. Okay. And other you don't. Okay. Um, apart from my awareness, I mean, that, that's true. Uh, just, I'm born, here I am, what's my condition? What's my spiritual condition? Sinful. sinful? The two views are a man is naturally sinful or naturally good. Okay, that's it. I'm either basically good or basically bad. And uh, we will find that in what we call the evangelical world uh, and much of the non-evangelical world, probably the majority position is that man is basically bad. And again, there are some verses that they will go to to, to, uh, to look at this. Uh, unlike the previous thing that we discussed it, the previous thing is you get into some minutiae and probably whether man is two or man is three, there won't be much of a difference in the way it affects me behaviorally, right? Uh, it, it's kind of just doctrinal. Um, but this has significant repercussions um, because it will affect my 
views on salvation. It will affect lots of things. So from this idea, we'll come through a series of logical arguments, things like the doctrine of original sin, uh, infant baptism. Uh, in fact, uh, what's funny is that a person who believes in, we've talked about this in, in this, uh, this total depravity of man and, and will end up acting like an atheist. Here they have a theological view, but if, if they practically apply it, they will actually act like a person who doesn't believe in God at all. Um, because I'm saved. Or I'm going to hell. One of the two, I can't control it either way. So why shouldn't I just live the way I want to live? Because either way, I can't affect anything. Uh, so it's not a very logical view, but I want it not to, to rest in logic. I want to talk about it, discuss, discuss it from the Bible. So let's look at some of their justifications for the view because we, we do need to look at these. Psalms 51.5. Um, someone wants to read Psalms chapter 51, verse 5. And we'll just kind of go through these, and then we'll kind of go back through and, and give some context to them. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Okay. It's a paraphrase. Uh, some say, in, in, in sin, my mother conceived me. Uh, slightly different. Uh, Psalms 14, verse 1. No one who does good. Okay. Pretty strong. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and the impure. Who can understand it? Okay, so the heart is completely wicked. It's deceitful above everything else in the world. The heart is deceitful. All right, and then one more, Romans chapter 3, verse 12. You're gonna, this is going to look familiar to you. you. Romans 3, 12. <clears throat> okay, so, so, uh, so Paul quotes David. Here, the, the Psalms 14 passage. Does this sound like we're basically good or basically bad? Yeah. <laughs> right? um, so I want to kind of go through and give some context to, um, to these. First of all, Psalms 51, what's the setting? And Psalms 14. First of all, how would we categorize? What are Psalms 14 and Psalms 51? What are they both? How would you classify those? They are in books of what? Poetry. <coughs> it is the East, and Juliet is the sun. Well, she's the sun. Well, she's a flaming ball of gas. 
let's be very scientific about this. It's poetry. Now, with respect to Psalms 51, what's occurred in Psalms 51? What is the setting? Okay, so David and Bathsheba, they've just sinned, and even more specifically, what's just happened? Nope, this, this is actually written before then, so that's about eight months later. So, so Uriah is killed. Nathan just came in and confronted him, and that's where he writes this. He writes this from the depths of who he is and being confronted with everything he is. And when, when you look at that, you just like over, he's overwhelmed with how awful he is. And he's looking at sin after sin after sin that he's done. This is, this is a man, he's still dealing with guilt. This is not a theological statement. Okay, so that's the first thing. Uh, in Psalms 14, I, I suppose if we looked at humanity from the same perspective with a poetic sense, would we not, if you look at the world, don't you go, what a messed up world we live in. It's a broken world. It is, it's like no one ever does anything right. That, that would be how I would express that in, in poetry. Same thing with Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah actually writes poetry, though it's not, it's a prophecy. If you read Lamentations, you, you get the idea. Jeremiah is a prophetic writer of poetry. These, these are poetic expressions that express a true statement, but they're not theological statements. Um, to illustrate that, I want to compare the passage in Romans chapter 3, verse 12. And we, we mentioned this. So, so Paul quotes in Romans three twelve what we, we just read, where he talks about, he quotes the Psalms 14 passage, where man does nothing good, right? And so I want to turn back just a single chapter to chapter 2 and read verse 14 and 15. And this is what he writes there. He says, um, indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature... Now, this is a theological Paul statement. Right Now, now he's making a theological statement. This is not poetic. When, they, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required in the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they don't have it. Since they show the requirements of the law written on their hearts... Wait a minute, I thought the heart was deceitful above all else. I thought it could do nothing good. Their conscience, inner man, bears witness, and their thoughts now accuse or defend them. This is a theological statement. This is a statement about the existence of mankind and what man can do and what man can think and what man can feel. We have the ability. He says that they do that. They, some of them, probably fairly infrequently, I would assume, did that even without having the law. We call that morals. Yes. You have good morals. You yes. You take something that doesn't belong to you. So, so, so man has the capability, doesn't he? 
And this is what we're saying is, is your capability depends on how much of those other sources you have available to you. But I'm just talking about the basic, what is man basically? What is man fundamentally? I'm not talking about how often we do it successfully. But just the simple observance of what man is. It seems hard to imagine a statement where I would say that man is basically good when we see that man sins so often. But I want to clarify what I mean by the basically. I'm not talking about the frequency with which we do something. Right? That is kind of a that, that that's kind of a shift in the definition that changes. If that's the discussion, then no, man is basically bad. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about our essence, what we are. We might sin the majority of the time. That's not what I mean by basically good. So Romans 2.14 suggests man has the code built into him to be good. That's what I'm talking about. The difference of basically good is your creation. What God designed you to be, not whether you're overriding it. That's a really good way of putting it. What you are basically. Look, even if you've never seen the Bible at all, yeah. you still know good from bad. In your, in your heart somewhere, but, you know, and I just have to say it, every once in a while, they throw out the good and they become bad. And the beginning, they know good from bad. Yes. Yeah. Yes, they do. I always go back to, we're made in the image of God. Well, if that's really the case, then God's not. Okay. We're, we're, we're coming up to that scripture. So Ray, <coughs> Ray and Mark have been up here conspiring to read my notes. <laughs> now we're, we're coming there. We're going we're gonna to get there. In fact, the next section, we're almost done here. Um, but when we talk about basically good, I just want to kind of establish one thing, and, and, and the comments really kind of brought some of this out. It means what and I fundamentally, and the way to figure that out is which is the departure? Am I departing when I sin, or am I departing when I do good? If I, if I sin and that's the departure from my nature, then that tells you that I'm naturally basically good. What's, what's the aberration? What, 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 is, what is changing what I am? Oh, he accidentally did good. He must be basically bad. We wouldn't say that. We recognize, all of humanity recognizes that the bad is the departure of what is the ideal. Now, different people have different things for what they think is bad. That's not what I'm talking about. We recognize that the, that the sin is the aberration, and that tells us what is the ideal, that I am basically good. Mark? One thing I've always you know, thought about a lot was in Romans 9, going back to like the whole God sovereignty yes. section. Whenever he's talking about Jacob and Esau, he says, before they did anything good or bad, yeah. When they, were, when they were born, before they did, it, they did anything, 
and he, he makes an interesting distinction of, of either good or bad deeds. Mm -hmm. So I always just thought that was mm -hmm. interesting to consider. Yeah, this they had no, they had no, <laughs> no moral behavior. That was some things that they were chosen for their roles, not for heaven or hell, but but chosen for roles not based on on what they were going to be. God, God didn't. Uh, they weren't around to make those decisions yet. They were blank slates in that regards. Uh, so I want to go to Genesis. Well, we know Genesis 126. Uh, um, oh, Ray, Ray just quoted it. That we are made in man's image. Now, what's that? Or excuse me, we are made in God's image. Man is made in God's image. Thank you, Mike. Um, if I believed in the sinful, basic sinful nature of man, if I believe in, essentially in Calvinism, how do I explain Genesis 1.26? There is a way to explain it. I'm not saying it's the right way, but how would I explain that? How would you explain that? Well, to me, they were, they were created in the image of God, but they didn't have the knowledge of good and evil until after they disobeyed. Okay. So in the, so so we call that what? You'll hear the phrase again and again. What? Original sin. Original sin. The fallen nature of man. Have you ever heard that phrase? Yes. The fallen nature of man. So this is important because I want someone. Can someone read James chapter three, verse eight and nine? written a long time after the garden, isn't it? In fact, you'll see the same thing referenced in, in I think it's 1 Corinthians, references man being made in the image of God. We are still made in the image of God. That has not changed. This is one of those doctrines which has occurred completely as a result of logic. It's a doctrine that's been created by a misinterpretation, and then whenever you throw something wrong in the Bible, you're going to throw something else wrong. It's just like dominoes that go everywhere and affect everything else. So, concept of original sin, right? so, so yes. Yeah, so, this is the the concept of original sin is that Adam and Eve fall. It, 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 it has no scripture. There, there's nothing. Every passage you'll read on the subject doesn't is. Like, Man will not bear the guilt for the sin of the father, or father for the guilt of the son. It's like, like the scriptures are pretty clear. The tree of good and evil has two. So I believe. <laughs> That's a good point. In man, you now have both things within you. Okay, and so you get to choose which one you go with. That's a good point. I never even thought about that. We always focus on the evil side of that. I never even thought about that. That's a really good point, Becky. Um, 
But I want to put the fall of man in context. So let's go back to Genesis 3 real fast. We're just going to look at a couple verses. Verse 7. affected in man? What was affected? What change took place in man? Right. So, so there's nothing that says that he has any intrinsic nature change other than what he's aware of. Right? That, that's the only thing that's, that's explained here. Um... Genesis 3, 16 and 17 would be the only other place in this chapter that we could find some sort of change in humanity when God comes and addresses the situation. Verse 16 and 17, someone will read that. So, so what now are the, the consequences? In one word. Physical. They're all physical, Mark. I think it's a weirdly mis- weird misconception that you know, people thought that, think that Adam and Eve were perfect from the start and weren't capable of sin, but that's obviously not true. They were capable of it from the very start. They just didn't know about it. Okay. Knowledge wasn't the sin. Disobeying God how, was the sin. How do we know that they were capable of it from the very beginning? Because they, they, they listened to the serpent. How did they eat with a pure nature? How did they choose to do the wrong thing? They were given one command. I mean, you know, you had one job, right? You have to see those. You had one job. Don't eat the tree. They did it. How did they do it if they didn't have a fallen nature already? They had a human nature. That's what they had. They were human. And they had these two natures that were at war. Regardless of all, they didn't have all the knowledge of every possible thing they could do wrong. That just multiplies the number of things that we can do wrong. And helps us find the wrong thing more frequently. But they still had the ability to do wrong because why? Because they did wrong. Without any knowledge of what there was as a result of that tree, they still managed to do wrong. That does not change after it. The only thing that changes is their awareness of how many wrong things there are. Wow, this opens up a whole new world of opportunity for us to figure out the wrong thing. And that, yeah. And we do. Yeah. Figuring out the wrong thing. Yeah. And I think that's why man appears to be so bad, is because there's so many bad things to do. 
There's so many things that are not the right thing to do that we find them and we go, my goodness, humanity, what, what a messed up thing. I, I've, I've done things, I think I've been doing them since I was born. That's, but we have the same nature and I think that's important. Uh, so, and, and just to close with the one, the one statement, you, meant, you mentioned this, uh, yeah, Mark, talking about uh, Jacob and Esau prior to. Well, the same thing, Jesus said the same thing. And he was talking with the disciples and they're walking up like, who, who sinned, this man or his parents? This man. Now, this man was born blind. Who sinned, this man or his parents? So, in other words, they had the same idea that, that you were sort of guilty before you were born. He must have, he, did he sin that he was born this way? God says, no. She's like, that's, no, that has nothing to do with it. Uh, so, so even Jesus himself denies this, this very concept. So, all right, thank you for your thoughts. And we're dismissed.